All right, as advertised at the top of the program, we're now going to go down under to a land of wonder, if you remember those Paul Hogan TV ads from the 1980s, which I think sent a record number of Americans down to Australia, and speak with our new Radio Parallax Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor. Welcome to the show for the first time, Pamela. Thank you, and hello, everyone. <laughs> now, we should note that you, you are familiar to KDVS listeners by virtue of the fact that you are... This Week in Science is Australian correspondent and have been a substitute host over there for the good people uh, at This Week in Science. Sure, just a few times, but I have been, yeah. And you and Justin have your own little uh, little thing going on on a blog of your own, I understand. Yeah, meaninglesswords.org. You can check it out sometime. Well, I hope people will do that. I hope we will bring Justin on the show uh, and uh, and have the three of us chat up, as we were able to do. In fact, I haven't told the story yet, but um, I guess we should tell that story. When I was down there pre-eclipse, looking around, getting oriented in cans, I stumbled upon uh, some folks out in the public square putting on uh, a video on a large monitor with chairs gathered around. That turned out to be you and your cohorts in Occupy Cans. Uh, That's right. So uh, yeah, talk about that. People will kind of be surprised at the fact that there is an Occupy movement down in Australia, which you're very much part of. Well, I suppose people are surprised when they come upon us because we have universal health care and universal education, so what are we protesting? <laughs> but we're, <laughs> we're, it's a preventative measure, if you will. Rather than trying to cure a broken system, we want to keep our system as it is. And it was Noam Chomsky, he actually came to Occupy Sydney and spoke, and he said, you're only five years away from being in the same situation that the USA is in. It's not sustainable. So we're protesting to keep it as it is here and, and prevent going down the tubes. And we're also protesting to be in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world. I was very yeah. surprised to see your scenes on the screen from Occupy Oakland, which has got, got me talking about, like, my goodness. Uh, I, and I knew there was an Occupy in Sacramento and Davis, and you piped up and said, Davis? Well, yes, I know something about that. I have uh, have some connections to the, the radio station there, which was like, oh, what a coincidence. I'm actually wearing my Radio Parallax t-shirt now. Thank you very much. Good on you. Well, Pamela, you're wearing many hats. Not only are you uh, showing uh, Naomi Klein videos as part of Occupy Cans, you're also with the Cans Astronomy Club, and, uh, and of course, that gave you quite an interest in the upcoming eclipse. Oh, yeah, no, it was fantastic. It was... Uh the biggest astronomy event that we've had in Cairns since I've been living here anyway, since 2001. So 50,000 of you tourists descended upon us, which was fantastic for our economy too. Yeah, 25,000 Aussie and 25,000 other, including myself. That's right. We both set out to see this eclipse. I, I blundered into some good fortune by this hot air balloon ride, but uh, most folks went along the coast, and, and luckily you and, and, and a substantial number of people, depending on what the clouds were doing, were able to see it. So uh, t talk about what your experience was there on the coast. Oh, sure. Well, it was uh, cloudy and raining right up until the moment of the eclipse. No one thought we were going to be able to see it, but there were thousands of us where I was gathered on Machen's Beach in uh, Cairns. And uh, just as it was all going to go through, the clouds cleared, and ever, uh, thousands of people went, yay, and started <laughs> clapping. And then the clouds started to come back across just a little bit, and everyone went, oh! <laughs> but then they cleared again, and we saw the whole thing, and it was perfect for the whole couple of minutes. Outstanding. You know, we should put a little plug in 
four, four cans, which is which is quite a wonderful resort area. There's so much to do there, and I'm sure that's one reason, main reason why you live there. Just that uh, it's kind of an adventure paradise. You can you can go out in the Barrier Reef. You can go up and swim uh, up in some wonderful uh, streams nearby. It's just 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 a pretty cool place. Yeah, we have everything there. It's uh, it's really perfect, and. One of the great things about it is because so many tourists do come here, they're always telling us, you're so lucky to live here. And we think, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's the odd cyclone or two that comes through, you know, every couple of years and rips everything away. But that's okay. It's totally worth it because in between it's perfect. Now, I, I do want to note something for our listeners that, uh, and I want to thank you again publicly for the fact that although I'd been to Australia uh, 20 years ago and went to most of the states of Australia, except Western Australia, I uh, never did see a kangaroo. I was coming to think they were like leprechauns. They were a con for the tourist, but uh, I just want to note that uh, thanks to your efforts, I'm able to verify the fact that they really do have wallabies and kangaroos in Australia. Yes, yes. So they're not hopping through the streets of the city, (laughs) but they are hopping through the streets of the suburbs. So I I took you out to the the suburbs and in the middle of the night when uh, they're actually out and about eating and because they come up to the houses and they eat the cat and dog food that's left out as well as, you know, all the other vegetation around there. And so you really have to be out about midnight to see them, you know, happily hopping around. And yes, you saw some. Yes, I did quite. (laughs) None of them wanted to have their photo taken with you. No, they were very uncooperative, but there were certainly, uh, they're certainly out there in abundance. I do want to note for listeners that this really was an effort above and beyond the Call of Duty. Your car had broken down. You invited me to go out and look for wallabies, and you hired a taxi. I just want to say thanks again for that effort. No, you're welcome. He loved it, too. He was taking photos as well. (laughs) Yes, he did quite get caught up in the whole thing of, like, we're going to go look for kangaroos, huh? He said, oh, an interesting job for a change. Well, if we weren't his most interesting fair of that month, I'd like to know what was. Yeah, I probably don't want to know what it was. <laughs> well, maybe you're right. All right. Well, Pamela, um, I, I want to uh, note, as you made mention before, that uh, Australia in many ways has things here in America that we do not have, uh, universal health, etc. And that you do, in fact, uh, you are a nurse and you work for a physician down there. And I was kind of impressed by the fact that you're giving this telecommunications ability for doctors to hook up with patients in rural areas. And, of course, Australia being a big nation with not not that many people, that comes in pretty handy from time to time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, telehealth is only, as you saw it when you visited me, it's only been rolled out uh, in that respect since July last year. But we've come along in leaps and bounds. It's been around for about a decade in the mental health arena. And they've only realised a couple of years ago how, how well it can work for physical ailments as well. You know, a lot of the time the doctor doesn't even touch you, so do you really need to go and see them in person? And it's made such difference. Every day I'm hearing from patients, uh, you know, oh, you've just saved me at least you know, eight hours travel or a couple of days travel. And, and because of Australia being such a, you know, a farming country, farmers can't afford to take a couple of days off work to go and see a doctor because there's no one there to run the farm for them. So... It, it's the difference between getting health care and not. Even though we do have universal health care, it doesn't mean it's accessible to everyone because of where they live. Making a big difference. Yeah, no, I hope, it, I'm sure it's going to have a catch on in America. I've talked on this program before, being a doctor, about the fact that when you get your history and physical, 85% of it is the history. The physical is certainly secondary to what, uh, what you can tell your doctor about your symptoms. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it could be done without you having to be in the same room as the physician. Something you prove every day. 
That's right, we do. And you know, there's, there's so many new instruments coming out. Even with the, with the iPad, you can use certain medical instruments via Bluetooth with it, so you can actually see right down the ear canal with uh, portable otoscopes. You know, when, when telehealth first started a couple of years ago, everyone said, oh, I can't do that, it's too expensive because they were advertising these you know, 10000 or even $30,000 pieces of equipment. But now you can, just you know, as I said, a year and a half later, we've come along in leaps and bounds. You can use an iPad with a, a you know a thirty dollar otoscope attached, and it makes all the difference. You, know, you mentioned farmers. I do want to make note of the fact that New Scientist magazine was talking about right where you live, and the fact that uh, there's been some issues about farming and silt going down the rivers and causing some problems with the Great Barrier Reef. That's a problem worldwide, and uh, I'm sure you guys are aware of it. And I'm hope uh, taking some actions. Well, I know some people who are doing some things for the coral reef. I can't talk about these specifics, but we are working on it, definitely. But <sighs> the pollution's only part of it, though. Yeah. Because a, a lot of it's global warming, and I don't know if we're at the point where we can uh, reverse the damage, or unless we're just going to have to adapt to it. Well, I do want to note that I was very curious about your Great Barrier Reef. Uh, of course, it's one of the world's one of the world's great resources. I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, swim around on it 20 years ago. I was hoping that it would look the same. And, and to my eye, it looked pretty healthy, which was uh, reassuring because the reefs over in Fiji looked substantially dead to me. And I'm glad that to note that uh, at least the Great Barrier Reef seems to be in reasonably good health. Yeah, and that was something you even reassured me because even I live here, so I haven't noticed the the decline as much as, uh, as it's been advertised back to me because obviously uh, it's something I, I'm able to access all the time. Yeah. But to have you see the difference from 20 years and now, you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it is, we can save it, but we'll just have to see what we can do. Well, I'm certainly no expert observer, but at least it didn't strike me as looking dead like it, like it did, um, did over in Fiji. Um, let's talk about the, the, pre- the, the historic moment uh, that you and I were a part of in that um, we joined up with, uh, with uh, Kirsten and Justin on the regular broadcast of This Week in Science when I was down there, and we had sort of a three-continent uh, uh, correspondence going with their correspondent, Blair, over in Israel, uh, Justin and, uh, and Kirsten here in America, and you and I down in Australia. That was, that was a lot of fun. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was great. And uh, it's still, uh, you can still see it on, if you missed the live show, you can still see it on YouTube on their channel. Oh. But yeah, we were talking about the eclipse, and they were able to get the uh, the exclusive from us. <laughs> yes, they were. We shouldn't have done that for free. You know, we really should have charged them for that. Well, we'll have to look into that when we get Justin back over here. <laughs> but hopefully he will come on and join us in the weeks to come, being my uh, trivia partner when we Dr. Andy has his trivia nights over at the 33rd Street Bistro. I think I think we won when the time we competed uh, together on that same team. That's really a cool thing that we sort of have this uh, triangle going between uh, us this week in science and you as the apex of the triangle. Very, very cool. The way I uh, came across this week in science actually was just a bit how I I came across you, a bit of an accident really. About maybe six years ago, they were just brand new in the iTunes podcast store or download center and they were new and noteworthy, and I went, oh, okay, I'll have a listen to them. But it was just completely an accident because I was working for an Apple store at the time, and I was just showing a customer how to use iTunes. And I went, oh, what's that? Went home and listened, and I've been hooked ever since. Well, thanks to you, I expect we'll have just more and better cooperation between our two institutions here at, uh, at, at KDVS, which is an odd Australian link, but, uh, but a very happy <laughs> one. 
Uh, and speaking of Australia and science, uh, Pamela, I ran into this magazine down there when I was flying out of Darwin toward the Philippines called Cosmos, and I was quite knocked out by it. It seems to be a first-rate science magazine. I think I'm going to have to get a subscription to use it uh, for future episodes of this program. What do, you, what do you know about this magazine? When you asked me about that before, I actually hadn't heard of that. And uh, when I was looking for it on my way home, because I li- actually live in Queensland and you found it in the Northern Territory, I couldn't find it in the regular couple of uh, news agencies. So it's something I'm going to have to hunt down as well and subscribe to. Yeah, well, Pamela, I had not noticed a copy in Sydney, but uh, thanks to the uh, smart people up in Cairns, you did have a copy in the airport where I snagged one. So yes, we both have to investigate this. But they had a piece on sugars, which was oddly enough citing research done right here at UC Davis and how uh, there's a lot of problems potentially with high fructose corn syrup. They're taking a very close look at that. We're very interested in that topic and um, and we'll have to follow the lead of Cosmos into talking to some people here locally about that very issue. I was having a look at a similar study about sugar and I, as I said, it wasn't in that magazine, but it was uh, somewhere and recently and they were looking at possibly regulating sugar saying they were saying you know should sugar be regulated like a drug because it is a drug well it's a, that's a controversial uh, matter to be sure but what what uh, what really fascinates me is the fact that here in America because of the subsidies of of corn corn is cheap it's it's deliberately kept mm. that way and and a sweetener made from corn the high fructose syrup has become uh, uh, well, it's universal practically in all, you know, sort of fast foods. But a lot of people think that uh, the fructose is problematic versus table sugar, and uh, there's some research that seems to be backing uh, that up. Some people say, well, how could it possibly be different? Well, there there are some subtle differences in the biochemistry, and it, this may, uh, well, this is certainly worth taking a close look at, and maybe maybe you and I can do that. Oh, definitely. I actually think it should be regulated. It is just a drug and I mean, that's, that's someone, you know, coming from a, a caffeine addict. I think that should be regulated as well. <laughs> well. As long as they give me license to use it, of course. You know, we, we really actually should take a look at that. Uh, there's a whole uh, nefarious history of cane sugar and, and sugar in general becoming a refined product. It was enormously popular. Great fortunes were made from it. And, of course, uh, the plantations in the New World and all around the world where, you know, slavery got involved. I mean, sugar has been a major player on the world scene uh, for quite some time, and uh, it certainly does have a dark side to it. We should uh, we should probably kick around and talk about. When you were here, did you notice all of the uh, the cane sugar that we grow right where I live? Yes, like Hawaii, or at least like Hawaii used to be. There is quite a bit of it. Yeah, I mean, there's so much of it that a lot of it's not even harvested. You can see when it needs to be harvested, it gets that little bit of an extra foot of growth on the top, and some of it's just left to rot because we just we are so abundant in it. So to have it subsidised where you live. And, and made you know, cheap and everything like oh the corn is obviously not the sugar but right. it's just really because we have so much of it <laughs> that just reminded me of the conversation I've had with Justin about bananas he can't fathom that our bananas are okay to eat he won't eat bananas because all of, of all the bloodshed over bananas in your region whereas we grow all ours locally and, and they're just they're in abundance as well they're giving away practically and by the way, the bananas you have down there are pretty damn good. I think that uh, the bananas and the pineapples you can get other parts of the world are quite quite an improvement over, over what most Americans are used to. So uh, we want to put that out there. Uh, try, try the fruit when you travel. Yeah, definitely. But if you are down here eating our fruit and, and snorkeling and everything like that, please ignore our street evangelists. <laughs> we don't actually 
have too many of them. I've never seen one before in my life. But recently we seem to have acquired one. She has an American accent, so she must have come here down here to uh, try the fruit as well. Hmm. She started uh, screaming in City Place of cans and... When I was on the phone with you yesterday, you said, "Oh yeah, the brunette." <laughs> so sadly, that was so weird that I could I could put a face to a person I could hear raving in the background as we were talking on the phone. But, but she's uh, unique. Please just ignore her. I, I thought her accent was not American, though. I said, "You sure it's?" Uh, well, she's not Australian. It's a hybrid. She might be Canadian. At any rate, as we close, I do want to ask you one very important question. Uh, we're not sure what theme music to use when we go to you down under. Uh, can we use the Men at Work <laughs> tune? What, what, what would you prefer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can use that. <laughs> That's fine. Good, because we, we didn't, we didn't want to go with either Waltzing Matilda or Timey Kangaroo Down. We thought that would be pretty, uh, pretty horrible. No, that would be a bit embarrassing, yeah. <laughs> no, Men at Work. We own that. That's good. All right, well, that's what we're going to use, and that's what we'll go out with. Pamela, welcome aboard for your first visit. It won't be your last. Let's talk science here uh, maybe next month. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you all next time. Very good. I met a strange lady. She made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And she said, do you come from a land down under? A women go and All right, before ending this segment, I probably should cite some items which I have retained from my trip to Sydney and Cairns, some um, newspaper items. An analysis from the Sydney Morning Herald by Lindsay Murdoch. Hope she's no relation to Rupert. Ooh, maybe this is the Telegraph and not the Morning Herald. I don't know. I didn't write, write it down. But at any rate, according to Lindsay... President Obama's surprise visit to Burma would be viewed with some concern in Beijing, which has for decades been Burma's closest ally. She notes the visit is likely to dilute the influence of China in the country that is strategically located between China and India, the region's two big powers. And curiously, though I did not realize this at the time, President Obama was in Cambodia and leaving as I was uh, arriving. Turned out that prior to that visit, no U.S. president had ever visited Cambodia. It's definitely certain that no Radio Parallax host had ever done so. And as I say, I'll have more to say about Cambodia on next week's program. All right, another newspaper item from Australia. This one comes from The Telegraph, which I believe is a Rupert Murdoch publication. And it is worth mentioning that um, as long as there's an Australia out there and a Rupert Murdoch uh, uh, publishing empire... No one can ever say that America has the world's worst newspapers. No, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that honor has to go among major nations to Australia, where Murdoch got his start. But apparently the reporting in in the Telegraph over this item is approximately correct, according to uh, my friend Raj, who lives in Sydney and works in the financial industry. Uh... A class action suit got settled by the National Australia Bank related to that bank's heavy losses over toxic subprime home loans in the U.S. The NAB said some weeks back it would pay $85 million Australian to settle the action taken against it by about 15,000 shareholders pending court approval. Paper quoted law firm representative Maurice Blackburn saying that it sends a message to all Australian companies, no matter how big, 
that they do not have that they do have an obligation to keep their shareholders informed of important material information. Apparently, the backstory is that in 2006, NAB bought 1.2 billion dollars of collateralized debt obligations that were heavily exposed to the U.S. subprime residential mortgage market, which became toxic debt in 2007 and 2008. Yes, we're going to try and talk a little bit more about that very topic, uh, referring to Matt Taibbi's Griftopia, which this correspondent was was reading during uh, some of this trip. Matt Taibbi's been on our short list of desired guests for some time, and we're going to see what we can't do in 2013 to... Uh, speak with him directly about some of his wonderful work exposing the nefarious machinations of some of the crooks operating on Wall Street. I would note that speaking with a Hungarian man uh, on Sydney, he invited me for a cup of coffee when he saw my San Diego t-shirt. He mentioned losing something like $100,000 himself due to these aforementioned Wall Street uh, machinations. So, you know, these Wall Street bums screwed people all over the world, not just here in the U.S. Anyway, I got a pile of paper in front of me. Don't have time to do it, so this is a good time to quit. As any, let's take another short break and come back in our third and final segment to talk about, um, oh, a bunch of stuff. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Don't go away. <laughs> 